Hello and welcome to UX Soup, the short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients with insights, analysis, and expertise. I'm Chris Schreiner. Lisa and Diana have the podcast off today. So in certain domains like the automotive and aerospace industries, human performance and human capabilities are key elements of UX research and design. My first experience in this was as a grad student intern with the U.S. Air Force researching pilot performance and the effects of training on aircraft identification and the use of aircraft controls. In the automotive space, these human performance and human factors issues impact really every aspect of cockpit design. So today we wanted to talk more in depth about research in human performance and training, and in particular look at it in an area that we have yet to cover on UX Soup, the world of sports. So to help with this, I'd like to welcome to the podcast Dr. Rob Gray from Arizona State University. Rob is an associate professor and undergraduate program chair in human systems engineering at ASU. He consults with athletes and teams around the world, and he's also the host and producer of the Perception and Action podcast, available on all your normal podcasting platforms, uh, which explores how psychological research can be applied to improving performance, accelerating skill acquisition, and designing new technologies. Rob, welcome to UXU. Thanks, Chris. My pleasure to be here. All right. To start us off, uh, could you just give us an idea and talk to some of the specific areas of research that you're involved in in the world of human performance in sport? Yeah, so I um, kind of my, my background is in psychology training. And, um, you know, for many years, I did research trying to understand kind of the visual perception of, of athletes, what they look for, what kind of information they use. And um, now I've, I've kind of spun it off into more uh, training skill acquisition side in, in recent years. So how can we take an athlete and design practice better to to help them develop their talent? help to help pitchers throw harder, you would safely help, uh, you know, um, uh, athletes in soccer be more creative, make better decisions. So a lot of uh, practice design, coach education, and and with that, a lot of technology, like a, um, just like in any field, I'm sure you guys talk about, there's a great imbalance between what we can measure and understanding of how to actually use it and what to do with it. In sports, that's, you know, more prevalent than ever now too. So um, understanding how we can take the performance analysis and use it to make athletes better. So let's talk a little bit deeper into each of those different categories. So can you give me an example of some of the skill acquisition and training research that, that you've been involved in? Yeah. So we're doing a lot of kind of changing philosophy has been happening in, in, in training and coach training. The idea moving away from the coach having all the answers and being very prescriptive. Here's how you swing a golf club. You bend your knees, you put your head down to allowing uh, for athletes to more kind of self-organize is the term we use, trying to, to figure out on their own, kind of guided by the coach more. So the coach more as an instructor, uh, more or less as an instructor, more of a designer of practices to kind of facilitate this. Um, so adding taking technology to to add more variability to practice conditions and you know, in sports we've had a long history of being very repetitive hitting the same pitch over and over in practice even though in the game they're, they're varying speeds and locations all the time so um, trying to 
add that kind of aspect to practice, make it a bit more dynamic and variable um, and, and giving coaches kind of the, the theory and the understanding of how to do that is a lot what I do. So that's, that's a very different role of coaches. Like if you think back years, stereotypically a coach is the, the taskmaster, the one saying, this is how it's going to be done. It's going to be done my way. It sounds like that this is kind of driving coaches to be more, user-centered really to, to go UXy on you. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it is a, a lot of people are on board. There is some resistance, but <laughs> yeah, recognizing that there's not one size fits all solution. You got to let people be individuals. Uh, you got to let kind of people develop and, and yeah, I think there's a definitely more, uh, you know, athlete centered is a term we use mm -hmm. in, in coaching, which is the same basic principles as user-centered. Um, so yeah, yeah, it is a really big change and, I, you know, it's a, it's a very different role and way to think about coaching for a lot of people. In, in a lot of organizations, people get hired in on the UX side and have to uh, be able to prove the value of user experience and how much money it can save and all that. How has that process been in sports to be able to kind of prove the value of being more athlete centered? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it, it you get asked that a lot. How do you show this kind of benefit of this? And um, I think it's 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 a challenge because the old way is kind of produces faster, more straightforward results. If I give you all the answers and, and say, here, here's how you hit or, or run, usually it produces kind of faster. Whereas this kind of view of being more athlete centered is kind of the long game. Mm -hmm. We're making athletes going to be a more resilient and adaptable and stuff. So that sometimes that's a challenge, but usually I think uh, people have seen once they adopt this, if they stick to it and do it properly, you can see individual results uh you know uh, a lot of a lot of cases um seeing athletes kind of come up with different ways and end up doing things so usually it's kind of by case study is kind of sport it's hard to kind of put metrics or anything right. although you know some things like velocity and we can measure in a pitching and we can show how we change things like that but but it is definitely a challenge to show prove <laughs> how this is working uh, there has been some studies i've done some myself where we kind of directly compare uh, kind of traditional methods with these these newer methods and, and see how and we there is some evidence showing some of the benefits uh, across a, a lot of different things like what would be one of those studies so i did um one study uh, for example um and I, other people have done these where you compare if you teach someone like i i did one in baseball, there's been a big movement, to, you, you probably know, because in, in recent years for batters to hit the ball in the air more, mm -hmm. it's called launch, launch angle, higher launch yes. angle. <laughs> yeah. So we did a study where we basically compared a coach giving you very body-centered instructions. Here's how you swing to get the ball in the air, drop your elbow, do this, um, versus adding one of the terms you hear in this uh, field a lot now is called the constraints led approach, where we basically don't tell you how to do the thing. We basically give add a constraint to the practice environment that pushes you. So basically what we do is very simply add a fence, adjustable <laughs> fence, and that you have to hit over. And we kind of let batters figure out how to do that on their own without a lot of instruction from the coach. And um, you know, and, and there's a bunch of, another one that I like to use with pitching is called a connection ball where the pitcher has to hold the ball against their arm mm -hmm. to kind of keep them from separating and, and things like that. So we've, I have a couple of published studies showing in the long run, you get better performance. Like I got higher launch angle, more home runs, 
Um, there's also some evidence that it may help to prevent injury, right? You're less, it's a teaching you to kind of be a more adaptable mover than just produce one correct technique. I just did quotes on the podcast, yeah. <laughs> the air quotes so, um, for those. Dogs. But um, yeah. So I guess another area where this is is used in terms of uh, like post-performance breakdown. So, you know, you have like a, a golfer analyzing his swing afterwards. Can you talk a little bit about some of the work that's done in that area? Yeah. So that's becoming, you know, the, like golf's a great example of the launch monitors. You can go to a driving range and behind you is sensors that will, you know, show you the flight of the spin of the ball, the flight of the ball, the thing in baseball, they have new technology thing called Rapsodo, which measures the flight of a pitch and all everything detail. And, and um, yeah, so those are starting to creep into training and things. And Part of the thing that a bunch of us is, have been doing is trying to take what we know from kind of motor learning research and use it as a guide. Um, for example, we know it's not a good idea to have an athlete kind of get over-reliant on that, looking at that stuff all every swing. Mm-hmm. Um, looking, you want It can be useful, but you want to be able to learn to uh, be able to adjust things yourself and be sensitive to your own, I mean, we call it intrinsic feedback. So your own feeling that you 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 hooked the ball right you made a bad swing versus having a, a technology tell you all the time uh can be dangerous so trying to understand when we how much we should use these feedback uh what kind of feedback and when uh, a lot of it has been that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um and um you know so it's more like like user guide for how to use the technology um, right. but yeah that's that's been in every kind of um sport is it's coming <laughs> or it's already there yeah so we talked a bit about coaches and maybe some of their reluctance how have the athletes responded to using this kind of research to help improve their performance have they been more open to it yeah it's really interesting that that chris that, that it i think that's one of the really interesting areas so one of the things other things like we can use analytics for in sports is like uh scouting like so in baseball I, I can give you every single detail about the pitcher you're going to face tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? As a hitter, what pitches they throw, where, when, how, date, you know? Um, and what I found is there's huge individual variation in how much an athlete wants that kind of information, both before and, and kind of feedback. Some of them are like scientists. They want to know everything right. and all the analytics and, and they go on sites like fan graphs themselves. And um, whereas others just at the most, they want to know, Oh, he likes to throw a fastball here and a curveball there. They very simple. So I found it's very individual. And one of the things I've been working on, I work with a lot of the teams in the Valley here um, based on baseball and is trying to present that information in a usable way. <laughs> Um, some of them want to give like a full book of <laughs> stats about a pitcher, which I'm don't I'm skeptical that the players can actually use all of that information. <laughs> Fancy box plots and you know it looks good on paper, but um, so that's been a challenge. So I think the quite like just like with a lot of UX, you know how do we, we have all this information and all the, how do we give it to the right. performer in a usable way is is a super important question. Um, as with any field and it's, it's still not a lot of good answers. There still needs some work to understand <laughs> still, it. Yeah. Still more research needed as there is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's still, you know, a lot of coaches in sports, you know, at first glance, you know, they're kind of, I think on the surface worried about being out, 
you know, pushed about by technology, but mm-hmm. you realize that you still, the coach's role is still critical in understanding how to give the athlete the information in the right way more than ever. Right. Um, so good coach's ability to take the analytics from the launch monitor or whatever, and give it to the, to the athlete in a usable way and a simple instruction. That's an incredible skill that we still need a lot of, um, beyond the technology. So we've talked a bit about the technology, like in a, at a baseball field, they know where the ball is and where every player is within a very small <laughs> range. Uh, in American football, it's the same thing in real football or soccer. They know where everybody is on the field and how fast the ball's going. And in swimming, like if you watch the Olympics, you see like how fast the swimmer is going and all of that. How much of this, I mean, certainly that's been a great boon to all of this analytics and all of this skill acquisition and training, but how much can be done without that? If we go down to like youth sports or more amateur settings, how much of this can be brought into those areas? That's a good question. I think it's starting to trickle down. Like, you know, people are starting to develop, you know, cost-effective iPhone apps that you can set, you know, them up by your golf on a golf range and do it yourself without all the expensive equipment and biomechanical. So I think there's technologies coming down there, but I think, yeah, that that's, that's a good question. How much we want to use that. And at a lower level, I think, um, you know, I, I, I'm hesitant, some of them, to, to, to overcomplicate things with, mm-hmm. with too much data and stuff at that level. But um, I think we, we, we can get some. I think, you know, we, always, we already have a problem like kind of uh, in youth sports that it's, we're very, we, we tend to be over-restrictive and we, we move away from it being fun and enjoyable really quickly, yeah. I think, in a lot of sports, which pushes, pushes a lot of kids away. Yep. So I yep. think we got to be careful with that, but it is definitely coming um, uh, in some of the sports. I keep referring to baseball because it's my sport, but the the um, call like colleges, some of the facilities they have for now are as good as the professionals and high mm-hmm. schools. It's trickling down definitely as it becomes more affordable. So what do you think is like the biggest unanswered question in this field yet? Is it more about how to deliver the information? Is it about understanding the performance elements in certain sports or in certain activities? What what do you see as the biggest issue in in this field? Yeah, I think there's a I think that's a couple things. Yeah, the the how to use it um, is the biggest one, right? And in a lot of the technologies, even ones like motion tracking technologies, like we can do a I can do a really uh, biomechanical analysis on you and say, you know, you bend your knee slightly more than Roger Federer when you play. But what do I do with that? Right. Does that matter? How do I tell you about it? Um, when I mentioned earlier, one of the things that a lot of us are trying to do is bring in kind of motor learning principles into all this. And one of them we know about is getting people overly focused on their body, which is we call an internal focus of attention it's really dangerous <laughs> in, a, in a lot of things. You, you get overly focused on what your elbow is doing when you swing a golf club is, is not where you want to be. Right. You want your attention out <laughs> in the environment and let your body sort itself out, really. So so we're trying to uh, you know give people, use this information about all these ways we can analyze your movements without overburdening you and getting you overthinking of it. And sometimes a phrase we use is paralysis by analysis, right? You, you start yep. thinking about what you're doing too much. So, so I think that's a big, a big part of it. The other part of it, you know, from my 
and kind of personal bias too, is the, the perceptual side of things, you know, what people are, we, we can measure gaze behavior and things, but what people are picking up and looking at it, what people can actually detect uh, in, uh, you know, from a, from a pitch baseball or in soccer. So the kind of perception side of it, I think is still a big area to try to understand, um, you know, what, how much of a spin can a batter pick up? Can they really see the difference between this and that? And um, does it matter? And, and things like that, I think is a big area too. So it sounds like there's a lot of different areas that you kind of have to be at least somewhat versed in. You have kinesiology, understanding all the, the, the muscle movements and, and the biomechanics of everything. You have the technology elements to know how to capture the data that you want and analysis to understand what to do with that data and then some psychology skills to be able to effectively deliver that data. Yeah, it is really because it is really an interdisciplinary kind of approach if you really want. And teams are really, you know, a lot of teams I hear are snatching up people that have any kind of like, like skill acquisition is kind of has a bit of all those things, but anyone that has kind of, you know, uh, that kind of mix of things are really doing well. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, um, I always say, you know, one of the nice parts, and we mentioned like the technology is getting more available and, and things like that. I always say, you know, someone wants to pursue like something into sports. I, I always, uh, one of the things I advise them is, you know, get a cheap thing like a dart fish motion tracking thing or a phone app that can measure and make a blog where you start measuring stuff and answering questions and, um, you know, think of an interesting question, you know, how do people swing differently at night? <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be super important, but um, you'd be surprised who looks at those things. They they just want to see, I think the overall, you're right, you need some skills, but the overall breaking down a problem and going through it systematically is, and that skill is, um, that that's so valuable, right? They could teach you all the specifics about the movements and, you, you know, the details, but that that problem solving ability and taking the technology and doing something sensible with it is a really valuable thing to have. Oh, that, that's really interesting, Rob. I, I appreciate that. And I was going to ask you about advice for other people. So that that's very helpful too. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Chris. My pleasure. And again, uh, Rob's podcast is called the Perception in Action podcast, uh, available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. And if you'd like to send us any questions you may have, you can always email us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. The show notes on our podcast website, ux-soup.com, have links to our recent research. There you can also connect with each of us on LinkedIn. A reminder that UX Soup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive, and the smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.